0: This week, Whiting Petroleum files Chapter 11, Carnival issues $5.75 billion in secured and convertible notes, plus common stock. More on all this and, as always, updates from Puerto Rico. Welcome to the Week in Reorg.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Reorg podcast, where we bring you the latest top developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Connor Skelding.
0: And I'm Raksha Manjanaat. Later this episode, legal analyst Sean Daly will continue his new weekly segment, describing how coronavirus has impacted bankruptcy plans this past week. It's Sunday, April 5th.
1: Bakken-focused producer Whiting Petroleum, with a debt load of over $3 billion and facing a $262 million convertible material on April 1st, elected to file for Chapter 11 in the Southern District of Texas. The debtors filed a restructuring term sheet reached with a steering committee of an ad hoc group of note holders, under which RBL claims totaling $1.072 billion would be refinanced or reinstated, and note holders would receive 97% of reorganized equity. Existing equity holders would receive 3% of reorganized equity up front, plus to 4-5 year warrants for an additional 15%. Both the new equity and the warrants would be subject to dilution by equity provided under a management incentive plan. The debtors, which on March 27th drew down $650 million from their revolver, did not seek approval of dip financing to fund the case, but will instead use existing cash collateral totaling over $600 million on April 1st to, quote, continue to operate its business in the normal course without material disruption to its vendors, partners, or employees. The company, quote, expects to have sufficient liquidity to meet its financial obligations during the restructuring without the need for additional financing. At a brief first-day hearing on Wednesday, Judge David Jones approved all of the first-day relief sought by the debtors, including the debtors' consensual request for authority to use their RBL lender's cash collateral on a short two-week interim basis. According to Greg Pesci of Kirkland & Ellis, counsel for the debtors, Whiting will continue negotiating a longer, quote, second interim cash collateral budget and order with RBL agent J.P. Morgan, which the judge tentatively set for hearing on April 15th. The debtor's initial two-week budget shows an approximately $190 million cash burn through April 15th.
0: Cruise line operator Carnival Corp., Priced private offerings this week of $4 billion of 11.5% first priority senior secured notes due 2023 and $1.75 billion of 5.75 senior convertible notes due 2023. In addition, the company granted initial purchasers of convertible notes an option to purchase on or before April 18th, an additional $262.5 million aggregate principal amount of convertible notes. Pricing tightened on the secured notes from talk in the 12% area with a 99 OID. This offering was also upsized from an initial $3 billion. Each series of notes, quote, will be fully and unconditionally guaranteed jointly and severely by Carnival PLC and certain of the corporations and Carnival PLC's subsidiaries that own or operate the company's vessels and material intellectual property. Separately, the company has priced a public offering of 62.5 million shares of common stock at a price of $8 per share. According to a press release, the offering was decreased to approximately $500 million from a previously announced $1.25 billion. Carnival has also granted underwriters an option to purchase up to 9.375 million additional shares of common stock on or before May 1st. Carnival's operations have been paused since March 13th due to the coronavirus pandemic, with resumption currently scheduled for April 10th. The company has said that it estimates that its liquidity requirements are on average $1 billion per month. These costs are made up of ongoing ship and administrative operating costs, cash refunds of customer deposits, debt maturities and interests, expected capital improvements, and new ship growth capital not addressed by committed export credit facilities. You can find a pro forma capital structure on the REORC site.
1: Energy companies continue to cut costs in response to the crisis with Ion Geophysical saying it would scale back costs by some 18 million dollars over the remainder of the year and Patterson UTI a leading supplier of land-based drilling rigs announcing it would cut 2020 capex by 60 percent to 140 million dollars while producers Denbury Resources and Range Resources also announced capex cuts. A survey by Houston law firm Haynes and Boone found that borrowing bases are expected to decline by 10 to 20% during the spring redetermination season, while suggesting that the price volatility seen since early March could potentially prompt banks to postpone redeterminations until the fall. Petrobras said that it would cut output by 200,000 barrels per day. Retailers continued to increase cash holdings in response to future uncertainty. Tailored Brands announced a $25 million draw on its ABL facility. Ethan Allen announced a $20 million borrowing in its revolving credit facility, in addition to an $80 million borrowing on the same facility the previous week. Ralph Lauren drew down $475 million from its global credit facility. Dick's Sporting Goods entered into an amendment to its revolving credit facility, increasing commitments by $255 million to $1.855 billion. Knoll entered into a new $400 million revolving credit facility, stating that it expects to maintain $100 million of availability at the end of the quarter. Macy's announced a furlough of a, quote, majority of its workforce. The Pier 1 debtors entered filing seeking to, quote, temporarily cease making or delaying all rental payments, stating that most retailers not in the bankruptcy process are, quote, not paying rent and stretching payments. And travel and leisure companies also continue to take measures to protect themselves in the face of possibly prolonged revenue declines. Marriott increased its warehouse credit facility by $181 million to $531 million. Restaurant Brands placed $500 million of firstly and senior secured notes and earlier in the week fully drew down its $1 billion revolver. American Airlines drew $450 million on its revolving credit facility, leaving no availability. Hilton announced suspension of its U.S. sale operations and disclosed $195 million in borrowings against its receivables in late March. Spirit Airlines entered into a $110 million senior secured revolving credit facility with an option to increase commitments to $350 million.
0: Turning to the island of Puerto Rico, private Commonwealth economists say that there is considerable uncertainty regarding the COVID-19 pandemic's economic impact on Puerto Rico, the severity of which will depend on the length of the public health emergency and how quickly federal funding gets injected into the island economy. Some estimate the downside to the Puerto Rico economy could be as much as $10 billion to $15 billion, while the full range of potential COVID-19 economic impacts contained in two recent reports also include an estimate as low as $2.9 billion. The COVID-19 projections come in the wake of statements by the PROMISA Oversight Board and Commonwealth officials that the pandemic's economic impact on Puerto Rico could have a quote, material impact on the Commonwealth Fiscal Plan and proposed Commonwealth Plan of Adjustment. In Puerto Rico's Title III cases, Judge Laura Taylor Swain entered an order granting the urgent motion filed by the PROMISA Oversight Board on behalf of PREPA, and the Puerto Rico Fiscal Agency and Financial Authority, adjourning the hearing to consider the PREPA RSA Rule 9019 motion and related deadlines. The order directs the government parties to file a status report on or before May 15th. U.S. Natural Resources Committee Chairman Raul Grijalva wrote to the Federal Emergency Management Agency Administrator Pete Gaynor seeking information on FEMA's planned COVID-19 response in Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the territories of American Samoa, Northern Mariana Islands, and Guam. Quote, "The U.S territories face unique COVID-19 challenges due to their geographic location, unequal treatment under federal programs, and dire financial situation," the letter said, noting that the island in recent years had been hit by severe natural disasters, including hurricanes, earthquakes, and typhoons that have quote further weakened their healthcare infrastructure and limited their ability to effectively respond to new emergencies. U.S. Virgin Islands Governor Albert Bryan Jr. said in a Wednesday conference call that the government will need to borrow, quote, much more than the $120 million authorized by lawmakers last week to stay afloat. The governor said his administration is seeking a short-term loan from a local financial institution to get the liquidity required to continue operating until July 15th, which is the new tax filing deadline in the USVI after officials postponed the April 15th date because of the public health emergency.
1: Other top stories last week were OneWeb Global Limited commences Chapter 11 case in SDNY, SoftBank listed as largest equity holder, Intelsat explores potential exchange transaction. Envision warns of negative EBITDA, free cash flow, as COVID-19 hits patient volume. Company may need additional financing.
0: Now here is Jim Holloway from Houston with The Week Ahead.
2: Well, thank you, Raksha, and hello to everyone, wherever you are, and I'm hoping that you and yours are safe. So, it happens this week, there are a good number of things going on. Starting with Monday, April 6th, there is a store-closing motion hearing in Modell's, second-day hearing in Artvan, and a continued dip hearing in Hartshorn. It's also earnings from PetSmart. Tuesday, April 7th, DS hearings in Pier 1 and Pioneer Energy, and an omnibus hearing in PG&E. Wednesday, April 8th, a WIFT stay, an omnibus hearing in Alta Mesa, final dip hearing in Foresight, and an exclusivity hearing in Approach Energy. Thursday, April 9th, hearing in Sears, and a St. Francis sale hearing in Verity. There's also earnings from cons. Friday, April 10th, there's Verity again with a hearing related to the St. Vincent sale. And those are the things we know about. There will quietly be more developments. Anyways, Raksha, back to you.
0: Now, here's Sean.
3: Thanks, Raksha. This is Sean Daly, distressed debt legal analyst, here with week two of the COVID-19 legal roundup. Underlying drivers of in-court activity this week were once again acute liquidity problems, reduced access to new capital, and downward revisions to valuations struck pre-pandemic. We'll cover updates on three themes today. First, deals either renegotiated or terminated. Second, dip defaults and other troubles accessing committed or new capital and third, a comparison of the forms of cost-cutting or mothballing relief obtained by various retail and restaurant debtors as of late. Starting with terminated and recut deals, Permian-focused E&P Approach Resources disclosed this week that it had received written notice from Alpine Energy Acquisitions, whose purchase of substantially all of the debtor's assets was approved by the Southern District of Texas Bankruptcy Court on March 4, purporting to terminate their asset purchase agreement. Approach naturally says it vigorously disputes Alpine's ability to terminate the APA and will pursue all available remedies if Alpine fails to close. The parties had earlier stated an intention to close at the end of March, so here we are. On a less contentious note, in Alta Mesa discussed last week, the debtors reached renegotiated deals with asset purchaser BCE Mach 3, who got a cool $100 million off the previously negotiated $320 million headline purchase price. The estate receives upside optionality of oil rebounds in the form of a 5% overriding royalty interest on existing wells, triggered at an oil price of $45 per barrel and capped at $25 million or three years, whichever limit is reached first. Turning to dip and other financing woes, In more positive news, too, Sanchez Energy, which last Friday received a notice of default from the dip agent, by Monday had reached an agreement in principle on terms of a plan of reorganization with the dip lenders, after which the default notice was abated. Murray Energy raised the specter of liquidation and the potential for default under its dip covenants in light of recent negative financial performance, falling short of prior dip budgets, in a motion seeking to cut certain expenses. Whiting Petroleum, which filed for Chapter 11 this week and Connor discussed in greater detail earlier, is a variation on the availability of new capital theme and also an example of a filing spurred by an acute liquidity crisis in the form of a debt maturity. On the financing front, Whiting took the draw-it-if-you've-got-it approach and drew down $650 million remaining on its approximately billion-dollar revolver less than a week before filing for Chapter 11. Whereas you might see a prepetition RBL rolled into a dip and then exit RBL from the same lenders, the debtors drew what they had available and have stated that they intend to finance the cases with a consensual use of cash collateral. This more expedited approach makes sense in light of statements from debtors' counsel that they didn't begin to plan for a Chapter 11 filing until March 20th. At the first-day hearing on Wednesday, the court approved a two-week interim use of the RBL lender's cash collateral. Counsel for the debtors said they will continue negotiating a longer, second-interim cash collateral budget in order with RBL agent J.P. Morgan before seeking final approval. Interestingly, counsel noted the debtors feared a significant reduction of their borrowing base in the upcoming redetermination season. OneWeb, the SoftBank-backed satellite company, filed for bankruptcy last Friday night noting in its first-day declaration that the company, which isn't generating revenue and thus had been heavily dependent on funding from key stakeholders, had hoped to achieve an out-of-court solution to address its dwindling liquidity position, but could not do so. Uh, The first-day deck indicates in further detail that the company actually entered into a term sheet for bridge financing on March 16th that was supposed to be consummated by March 26th but was notified uh, by the lenders, proposed lenders on March 21st that that bridge financing offer was no longer available. The debtors have said they intend to fund their cases for the time being through the consensual use of cash collateral, and and the debtors are also actively negotiating debtor-in-possession financing, um, which would be used to fund a 363 sale process. Art Van Furniture discussed last week unfortunately checks the box on all three major themes discussed this week. As noted last week, a proposed asset sale fell through, and faced with the loss of the use of cash collateral, the debtors filed a motion to convert their Chapter 11 cases to Chapter 7 on Friday night. Debtors' counsel had previously stated an intent to file a critical cost-cutting motion similar to Medell's and Craftworks, but the debtors were unable to reach agreement on such relief with the ABL agent. Which brings us to the third and final theme for today, the aforementioned cost-cutting motions. Restaurant holding company Kraftworks, whose motion was discussed last week, obtained approval of significantly revised case procedures, joining models, and retailer Pier 1 hopped on the bandwagon, seeking and obtaining relief to only pay critical expenses pursuant to a reduced budget and to adjourn hearings on all motions for payment of uh, other administrative expenses and related requests for relief, including stay relief. Given that similar relief has now been obtained in three different courts, I figured it might be interesting to dive into the details and compare and contrast the relief each of the various debtors sought to relative to what they obtained, what they each obtained relative to one another, and on what basis did the courts grant relief. As background, Models, a New Jersey case, is in the midst of an orderly liquidation and its going-out-of-business sales have been put on ice due to the closure of non-essential businesses. Craftworks, a Delaware case, the company's motion and store closures were precipitated by a dip, default, and termination, and their plan is to suspend as much of their operations and related administrative expenses as feasibly possible, in hopes of restarting their operations and reopening and reopening their stores at some point in the future. Pier One, an eastern Eastern District of Virginia case, is likewise holding out hope for a going concern transaction. The debtors say that a going concern sale or debt for equity exchange, quote, is still a possibility, although according to the motion, the only large asset bids the debtors received before a recent bid deadline were fee based liquidation bids. Nonetheless, the motion says that prior to the impact of COVID 19, the debtors were in extensive conversations with potential going concern bidders, and, quote, the consenting term lenders can continue to consider taking over the company as a going concern. The last bit is somewhat curious as the debtors filed a notice on March 27th that the consenting term lenders had elected, had elected to pursue an equitization restructuring under sale reorganization toggle in their planned support agreement. A Filing from the ad hoc group shed a little additional light on the situation, saying that they only made the March 27th election, quote, to simply maintain loan compliance in the status quo after the dip lenders refused to waive the milestone, which could have triggered a dip default. Pier 1 Motion has some interesting quantified detail of the impact of COVID-19 on their operations. Namely, in-store sales compared to the prior year fell approximately 65% to 55% at various of the store subsegments. The debtors say, however, that their e-commerce business remains strong and that e-commerce sales were trending close to the business plan. Further, they intend to continue their e-commerce business for as long as practical and economically feasible, and will pay expenses related to that to the e-commerce business is set forth in their new interim budget. Relief received by the various debtors um, falls into what I would consider two larger buckets. First, operational matters, including a reduced scope of operations and budget changes, and second, case administration procedures. On the operational side, Models and Pier 1 both obtained approval to minimize payment of expenses including approval to pay critical or essential payments under revised reduced budgets and approval to defer all other expenses. Models was also able to cease operations, terminate store and distribution center employees, and keep a skeleton crew at their headquarters, including their store closing sales and fulfillment of e-commerce orders, in contrast to Pier 1. Kraftwerk's relief was primarily in the form of the second bucket case administration procedures turning to case administration, Modell's obtained a temporary suspension of all deadlines and activities in the cases, although original language that would have barred any party from seeking relief during the suspension period was removed, and generally all parties are allowed to seek relief with regard to, quote, exigent and unforeseen circumstances that are unable to be resolved consensually. Uh, In the Pier 1 revised order, Uh, showed in a red line that they had also included the uh, same exigent or unforeseen circumstances. Kraftworks seems to have changed the most between the original pleading and final relief, so that should make for an interesting comparison. Uh, Kraftwerks obtained uh, certain modified rejection procedures, uh, pushing off of hearing stay relief and other motions, um, seeking payment on claims, and provided for uh, stipulations under certain conditions to be approved under uh, certification of counsel rather than through full motion process and hearings. Pier 1, similar to Craftworks, would adjourn all motions uh, for payment of certain administrative expenses and related requests for relief, including stay relief, uh, during a limited operation period. In terms of timing, there's been a trend towards granting open-ended relief subject to court oversight. Models originally sought a 60-day case suspension, but was granted just over a month, at which point the court will hold a hearing to consider continued relief. Kraftwerks also originally sought defined time periods, but those were cut in revised versions of their proposed order. Pier 1 explicitly built in open-ended relief through the definition of their uh, interim operating period and a monthly case update hearing construct subject to other orders by the court. Another interesting comparison is the basis upon which relief was sought. Modell sought approval of its, quote, bankruptcy suspension and related operational suspension pursuant to Bankruptcy Code Section 305, which provides that the court may suspend all proceedings if the interests of creditors and the debtor would be better served by such dismissal or suspension. suspension in this case. For those of us who are unfamiliar with Section 305, there are several pages of case law on the debtor's motion. The debtors also sought approval in the alternative under the court's broad equitable powers of Section 105, which permits a court to issue any order, process, or judgment that is necessary or appropriate to carry out the provisions of the bankruptcy code. The order ultimately entered granted relief under both Sections 105 and 305. Conversely, Craftworks and Pier One sought relief under Section 105. Pier One explicitly sought approval under Section 305 in the alternative, whereas Craftworks' motion simply contained a, reservations of right, a reservation of rights that nothing would prejudice the debtor's rights for relief under Section 305. Section 105 is purposefully broad, and though it might be difficult to find any prior cases directly on point, Pier One gets an E for effort. They discuss uh, Section 105 in the context of granting authority to protect and effectively administer state assets, provide a basis for tolling certain time periods under the code, and they note that, of course, its use may not be inconsistent with other sections of the code. Interestingly, Kraftwerk's motion did not cite to any case law, Again, admittedly, this isn't the easiest assignment to track down relevant precedent without getting creative, so it may just be a sign of the interesting times we find ourselves in, but still, you know, imagine in the abstract being an associate that submits a first draft of a motion without a single case site. And this was filed on the docket in a Delaware case. Wild times. A few other interesting notable points. In Pier 1, the debtors really played up a theme They are just seeking to do what out-of-court retailers are able to do. The debtors note that actions that most retailers are taking out of court, uh, to wit, not paying rent and stretching vendor payments, are subject to the elevated priority of the bankruptcy code in the post-petition period. The debtors posit that the relief sought in the motion was, quote, substantially similar to actions that the vast majority of retailers are taking in these circumstances. It's a good point, and for those who appreciate the aesthetics of creative bankruptcy papers, the motion says, quote, instituting a breathing spell for the debtors during this tumultuous financial period by approving the interim budget and allowing for the modification of payment terms is exactly the type of relief the bankruptcy process was designed to provide. Of course, many of first day pleading has talked about the importance of the quote breathing spell provided by the automatic stay, as does the parenthetical to the case site and following the sentence just quoted from the debtor's motion. But this use of breathing spell is practically saying that the typical breathing spell and relief provided by the bankruptcy code isn't good enough and that the debtors need a breathing spell from certain provisions of the code itself. And true to form, the motion continues, while the debtors are aware that the automatic stay applies to pre-petition actions, in extraordinary times such as these, Section 105 permits the court to extend the principles of the bankruptcy code to post-petition case administration. Debtors also note, in seeking to suspend payments to landlords and vendors, that they have been engaged with negotiations on obtaining rent concessions with landlords. 42% of go-forward store landlords have agreed to defer April rent as of the filing of the motion, and 21.5% of go-forward store landlords have agreed to a four-month rent deferral and it's noted in a supporting declaration that this was the debtor's opening bid when they went out to landlords. They started with four months and kind of worked backwards from there. However, other landlords, according to the motion, and as, as you can imagine, have threatened to exercise remedies or otherwise uh, denied request for rent deferral. Pier 1 suggests that although the debtors need a breathing period, Quote, Many of the landlords and vendors may be able to take advantage of the funding recently made available under the Coronavirus Economic Stabilization Act of 2020 or the CARES Act as it's known colloquially, in contrast to the debtors who uh, you know may not avail themselves of the act. So just you know in, in another interesting distinction, uh, we can't take advantage of this, but uh, these other parties, these creditors that you might be worried about, um, foisting certain hardships on they may be able to objections of course were received in uh, certain of these cases from landlords uh, who argued that the debtors are essentially seeking to run the case on on their backs of course it's it's going to be interesting looking forward to see whether these cost-cutting motions will come back around in the context of administrative claim allowance although at uh, current Time zero, Uh, these debtors are just temporarily suspending payments. Um, The UCC Council and Pier 1 already raised the the possibility of administrative insolvency prior to the debtors closing all of their stores. And the, uh, the Pier 1 debtors say that payments made pursuant to the interim budget may become administrative claims and that they, quote, intend to file an administrative claims procedure motion, uh, which is not a good sign for anyone who has, has seen administrative insolvency up close and personally. And that's it for this week's update. Stay healthy, try going for a walk during a conference call if all else fails, and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thanks, Sean,
1: and thank you for listening to this reorg Weekly Review. As always, find all of our podcasts on the reorg.com media page itunes or soundcloud hope you and your families are healthy and safe i'm connor skelting